0: Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Please turn in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel. I'm going to be speaking on Jesus being the game changer, the great game changer. You see... Wherever he goes, wherever he goes, wherever he touches, he changes. And it's always for the better. Some of your lives, I don't know you yet, but some of your lives are being changed because he's touched you. Some of you, your marriages have been touched. You'd not still be together unless... He was has touched your marriage. He's a game changer. Some of you, he's healed. You would not be here today unless my Lord touched you. You know that, don't you? And some of you here do not know him yet. And as I speak to you now, you know you don't know him personally, don't you? But that can change today, you know. It can really change. It'd be an understatement to say the birth, the life, the death of Jesus Christ has been and continues to be the greatest game changer in human history. He only had a ministry for about a thousand days, you know. And yet this one single life changed the world. You and I would not be here today if it wasn't for him coming. Wherever he went, as a baby, to a man, he changed everything. He would expose the hypocrisy of the Jewish hierarchy. Where I come from, there's a a saying, Sunday suit, Monday devil. In other words, you can be all Sunday suit on Sunday, but the rest of the week you act like a non-Christian because you are not a Christian. The Christian is 24-7. He changed everything from the hypocrisy of the most religious class of the day, the Pharisees. In fact, in one chapter in Matthew's Gospel, 15 times he says, Woe to you, you hypocrites! You say you're, you're God's people, and yet you act like the world. Whitewashed sepulchres. You look good on the outside. Oh, but I know what you are on the inside, he says. 15 times he says that. He exposed the greed, the cruelty of the Jewish society. You see, Jewish society at that that time was deep in superstition. Deep in hypocrisy, double standards. Deep in superficiality. He came at the lowest point. And yet, maybe he came at your lowest point in life as well. When you had nobody to turn to, nobody to call on, You're really empty of your own resources. You had nothing to offer yourself. And then he came, didn't he? The doctors walked away. Your family walked away. Your husband couldn't help. Your wife couldn't help. The kids, well, they're the kids. And then it was just you and God. And he hasn't let you down, has he? Not one bit. I'm going to look at just a few people from... A humble girl, a teenager, 13 plus, a girl could get married in Jewish society. Right through to some of the magi. First one, an insignificant Mary. Happy, insignificant. She was unknown, a young girl, a nobody. That's what she was. She was from an inconsiderate town called Nazareth. In fact, if you associated your name with Nazareth, it was an insult, and that's why on the cross he was called Jesus of Nazareth. It was known as an insult. It was a place where if you applied for a job, nobody would write back. The wrong postcode. <clears> There's <throat> only several hundred people there. There's only one well there. It's there today. Not a good place to live mainly Palestinian today, with a few Gentiles as well, with a few non-Palestinians. And this insignificant young girl called Miriam, that's why her mum called her Miriam, we call her Mary. She was sent a messenger, not just any ordinary messenger. See, there's two main messengers in the Bible, two main angels, it just means messenger. One's Michael, and the other one's Gabriel, Gabriel. The latter always speaks about the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And now the time is right. After 4,000 years of world history, God actually now says, this is the right time. This is my time. And he said to this young girl, first of all, he calls her, can you imagine this? He just appeared as a man. He didn't have wings. Most angels in the Bible don't have wings. He just appeared as a man, dressed in normal garb of the day. He spoke in Aramaic, because Jesus and everybody in those days spoke in Aramaic. Some of the upper class could speak a little bit of Hebrew, most didn't. The vast majority of people spoke Koine Greek. That's common common slang Greek, which the New Testament's written in. And yet, he appears to her and he says, You are highly favored. (sighs) Who's this man? There wasn't a radiance about him. He was just an ordinary man that appeared to her. You're highly favored, my love. The Lord is with you. And amongst all the women that's ever been born, you are favored by God. And this is why. And this is the big shock that you're going to have a baby. This baby is going to be called God's salvation. Yeshua, Jesus, this baby is God's son. She was engaged at the time. (laughs) You and I would think, well, you better tell my boyfriend that, my fiance that. (laughs) He's not going to touch you. He's not going to be anywhere near you. And the Holy Spirit will allow you to conceive. And in nine months' time, you will bear God's son. I don't know how you feel, ladies, if that were to you happen to you. To have your own children has been an awesome experience. But to know that within nine months' time you'll be nursing and feeding the one who created you. It is overwhelming. Overwhelming. She was not a, a queen, just insignificant. She was not a nobleman's daughter, just a working-class peasant. She didn't have any degree from any famous university, and yet God chose this woman to be the mother and to bring up, and to rear, to wipe the nose, to change his nappy, to pick him up when he fell down and cut his knee, to laugh and to joke, to kiss, to hug and cuddle, smile at to play with she chose this nobody to handle the most precious thing the father ever had and that's his son you see Mary's life changed at that very moment and despite coming difficulties of trying to convince everybody from a mom and dad to a a, a fiance Joseph honestly no man has touched me Oh, yeah. And can you imagine the neighborhood going around? You know, Mary shown. Pregnancy is something you can't hide, is not it? You can hide many things, but you can't hide that. Not for long, anyway. And all of a sudden, the neighbor's saying, you know what? She's been a loose girl. She's let the family down. Imagine what they t- you speak about in a strict Jewish society. Some of us have been around in the 50s and 60s, and remember in those days... If a young girl was found pregnant in this way, it was very difficult for her and her family. It's changed over the years. In Jewish society, it was a death sentence. That's how serious it was. This young girl was deeply honoured. Her response was amazing. You'd think she'd been given great news, but at that point she'd be thinking, this doesn't sound too favoured to me. God's dealt me a poor hand here. You know, I've had so many Christians over 52 years say to me in various ways, I just think God's dealt me a poor hand in life, Steve. I think when you get to heaven, I think you'll only find all he's ever done is bless you. That's all he's ever done to you is bless you. This woman, her response was this my soul will magnify my God. And it's amazing. And my spirit will rejoice in God, my Saviour. She was never sinless. She was just a sinner like you and me, just that she was given birth to her Saviour. That's the issue. She is not special in any way. She cannot intercede for anybody. She is just an ordinary woman. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 2:5 that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You don't need saints, you don't need priests, you don't need anybody, you don't need even pastors, you just need you and your heart to reach to him. That's the issue, that's what prayer is. She had to convince her fiancé, well, he was convinced anyway by the same messenger. And she learned this, that there's a great cost to being honoured by God it doesn't come free some of the greatest preachers that have ever lived have died young been worn out been beaten, battered wherever they've gone some, a friend of mine had to pay with his own life only 4 or 5 years ago when he was murdered some, there's a great price to come near the Christ and being used by him oh But it's much better than wasting your life on yourself. That's the issue. She was honored. The next one is the unwanted shepherds. It's in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 onwards. These unwanted shepherds, well, to be a shepherd in the Lord's day was to be way, way at the bottom of the career ladder. Let me tell you, the shepherds were widely regarded in Jewish society as being. Unreliable, poor, unkept, scruffy, not allowed in any local synagogue because they smelt like sheep, generally unwanted, no friends. So if your son, ladies and gentlemen, if your son didn't do anything in life, you'd end up on the hills watching the sheep. It was the lowest of the low jobs in Jewish society 2,000 years ago. They did the work no one else would entertain, and the only friends they had was other poor shepherds. Yet it was to this close, scruffy town called Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem, on an insignificant hill, that the same angel, the same messenger, Gabriel, actually came to these people, these men. And what, what was revealed to them was the glory of God on that night. Amazing. You have never seen this. But if you go to heaven, you will see it. But no man has seen what these, these poor shepherds did. What the world despised and disregarded from these social outcasts, God honoured by telling them the imminent birth of his son. You see, I find it amazing in the Bible that... The Lord is regarded, regards himself as a shepherd. The greatest king in the Old Testament was a shepherd boy. Some of the greatest parables Jesus speaks are about the shepherd going out after the one. It's amazing. What God what man despises, God uses. It was Almighty God that wanted. These unwanted shepherd boys experienced something that no man has ever seen before. And that's ultimate, absolute joy. And he wanted this. He says to shepherds, the angel says, you shall have peace, peace with God. What's that? It's not a universal absence of war like you hear on television. You've heard so many times. It's not that. It's not saying there's no conflict or whatever. It's a justifying peace. It means that the, that the goodwill is, is that by God's sovereign will, this child will bring peace between God and man. Where there is one's enmity and distance, he'll bring it close. Where there is one's sin, he will forgive. Where there is one hopelessness, he will actually justify. In other words, By his blood on a sacrifice, he will declare people, you and me, righteous. And they were nobodies. No wonder they would call him wonderful. 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 There was a man in my old church called George. He was a Roman Catholic chap and he was saved. He became a Christian when he was 89 And he comes to the truth when he was 89, imagine that. Three wives, long life, a checkered history, to say the least, with this man. If you see Kentucky Fried Chicken and the man, that's George. (laughs) He was George. He was a gentleman, he was a ladies' man, he was a bit of a charmer. And I, I particularly saw him walking down my... I had a big white boxer dog called Cromwell... I was walking down the streets, typical, typical England, late November, rain, we, we, we get used to rain, wind, sleet, freezing cold, saying to my dog, this is going to be a short walk today, boy, this is going to be a short walk, dad wants to get by the fire, get by a study. An old man called George walked up the road, his shirt was open, showing his vest, he had slippers on. He was soaked through. I thought he had some dementia, so I went over the road to him, introduced myself. He knew who I was. And he said, leave me alone. I want to die. He said, I can't. I've got nobody in my life that knows me. All my family and friends have died. I've got nobody. And he said, and I've done so many bad things in life. You know what? Sometimes I'm scared to live. Sometimes I'm scared to die. But I want to get it over with. I can't live like this anymore. I can't live with the guilt of it. He said to me, the more you live, the more mistakes you make. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Eventually we took him home, washed him down, dressed him. He started to come to church. And it was a couple of months later, I was in a communion service. And all of a sudden, he was weeping at the very back to my left. And all he kept saying is, now I see. Now I see. Now I see. The last time I spoke to him, I baptized him not long after that. And I said to George, as he was being baptized, I said, listen, whatever you do, don't die in the pool. (laughs) This is going to be really bad. And he said, Oh, don't worry, Pastor. Just, I'll just drift me into the corner. He said, No problems. He said, I'm okay. I said, yeah, It looks really bad. It's not good for the press of the church to say, Old man's been died by this strange baptismal service by a bloke from Liverpool. It doesn't really go down too well in the media. And he was great. His testimony in front of all a packed church, a heathen church, he said this Now I'm at peace with God. Because Christ has come into my life and touched me. He was he was with him six months later. I told people at the funeral exactly what he said. Peace with God. I wonder if you know that peace. He said to me, he said at his funeral, Jesus, if you ask me one, one word I'd say about Jesus, he said this. Wonderful. Just that I haven't seen it for 90 years. That's what he said. It's interesting, you go to church and still miss him, can't you? And God has no grandchildren. These these unwanted men were wanted by the shepherd. That's what I'm going to tell you. And the Lord wants you today. See, I don't know your family circumstances. I don't know what you're going back. I don't know whether you're going to be in a flat or apartment by yourself this Christmas. I don't know that. But I do know, even if nobody contacts you, he's trying to contact you today. And he's saying, you may be unwanted. Very few friends, maybe. Loneliness is a great killer. But he's saying, he wants you. Listen to him. How many times in the Bible he says, come to me. Come to me, he says. Just come. The next one is, the one unaccepted. The unacceptable. The pagan magi. The wise men we call them, don't we? Probably astrologers probably listened to Daniel 500 years before. Remember, Daniel was quite up, probably studied the Old Testament scriptures, realized the Messiah is about to come, saw a strange star and a star in the sky. And then all of a sudden, they travel all the way from modern-day Iran, Persia in those days, all the way north, not far from Turkey, and then all the way down the Via Maris, like a major highway road, going all the way, cut right down to Egypt. So to go all the way, to Jerusalem, thinking, we know someone important, the king is going to be born, let's go to Herod's palace. First mistake, let's go to Herod's, let, let's go to Herod's palace. They were astrologers, so they knew what, what was going on, they were familiar with the art of mathem- mathematics, history, and these people in Jewish circles, you know, very often they were called devil worshippers as a label. Just that people like to label others, don't they? This star, we don't know, guided them to Jerusalem. Well, not far away, literally just a few miles away was Bethlehem anyway. In fact, you can see when you stand in the shepherd's field, you can actually see Jerusalem not too far away. And they knew how they to find a child, God's son. Eventually they found him, remember? Remember? The star guided them more precisely. And what did they find? Well, the stable was more like a cave. Just like a cave, a small, dirty cave, damp cave. Part of it is still there today. They went in this cave, and they were the first Gentiles in the world that ever worshipped the King of Kings. They brought him three gifts, didn't they? They brought him three gifts. These unacceptable men in Jewish society... Gold, you are going to be the king as they bowed before him. Frankincense, you are going to be the main high priest, the only intercessor between God and man. And myrrh, you are going to die for your people. These wise men, there wasn't just three, we don't know a precise number, but it gave three gifts, prophetic gifts, as he stood before this child, they bowed down and worshipped him. Reverence. Mary must have been, Joseph as a teenager, must have been thinking, what on earth is going on here? What's going on here? I know this child's special, but even these men that were unacceptable became welcomed. You know why they were welcomed? Because they worshipped this child. Actually worshipped him. In fact, like I said, the first people to actually, Gentiles to worship him, wasn't from Europe, it was from Persia, modern day Iran. Incredible, isn't it? He just takes everybody and he just touches everybody from every culture. They had false gods maybe before, and now they worship the true God. And then, one more quickly, the irredeemable the woman at Job's, Jacob's, well, you know that story in John chapter 4? An amazing story. Here's, from every society it has those ladies or those people, society wants to be a scapegoat. It could be to do with the color of your skin. It could be the culture. It could be your accent or dialect. Whatever it is, you don't fit in. Or people just don't want you to fit in. I hope it doesn't happen here. It makes the inadequate feel some way superior. There's a whole host of people, or groups of people who Jewish society would refer as in those days as social outcasts, just like we have them today in our society. And a typical example would be that no rabbi would ever speak to a woman. Not like this type of woman anyway. No Jewish man would speak to a Samaritan. They're from Jewish descent. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The greatest insult to a Jew, if someone called you a Samaritan, the Samaritans despised the Jews, although they all came out of Egypt years before. Here, Jesus, before the world ever made, Providentially planned that on this particular day at noontime, he would meet this woman. He sent the disciples away. He had to leave Jerusalem. He had to go north. He's going north through Samaria, which is quite hilly. And all of a sudden, he goes to what he needs is a well for water. Water's scarce, it's like around here. He goes to a well and he says to the disciples, Go into a local town. Get some food. The disciples go away. They hadn't got a clue what was going on. And therefore, he waits. There is nobody yet around at noonday time because it's warm, it's hot. Everybody's in the shade. And then all of a sudden, one woman, and it was a woman in Jewish culture and Samaritan culture, used to go for the water. You see them very often with a, walking with a sort of a big sort of thing on their head, big jaw on their head. That's what they did. And all of a sudden, this woman. With an entry, John Head comes at noon. Why is that rare? Well, nobody went out at noon. But, ladies, would you go to a well, or would you go shopping? And everybody around you start calling you names—loose woman, lady of the night—you know those type of derogatory names that they call. Would you stand for that? You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want everybody to just look at you. You wouldn't want people to sort of stand apart from you so you just stand alone. This woman had had that a number of times, And why? Because other women didn't want to associate with her because she was living with a man. She was having relations with a man. she'd not married. She'd already had five husbands and now she was living with this man, not married in a wrong relationship. The relationships that we ought to have only when we're married. Here. She walks up to Jesus. She hasn't got a clue at noondaytime. She hasn't got a clue who he is. He's just sitting by the well and he asks her, "Can, can you have some water from him? The well is about 90 odd feet deep, if not more. And she's saying, how are you going to get water? You haven't got anything to get it with, have you? You haven't got anything to get it with. He didn't realize that before any, anything was ever formed in any universe, before any star was ever flung into space, he'd planned to meet her on that occasion by sovereign providence that day just like he planned to meet you on that day. It was all planned out. It's nothing haphazard with him. He never did anything haphazard. He's never taken by surprise. It was providentially planned. This woman, once again, must have been devastated. Must have been thinking, what's going on here? Nobody wants to know me. And other, other, other women didn't want the, this woman who they regarded maybe as a potential threat to their marriage as well. All understandable things, but very, very cruel. And people can be very cruel. She would never call herself a self-righteous woman. She seemed to be a fairly honest woman. She's at midday, and she would be regarded in Sumerian society as being beyond the pale. You know that, the black sheep of the family? Uh, the one that'll never change, the one that's irredeemable, the one you're thinking, "Oh, it's going to need the miracle for them to change." First of all, she saw him as a Jewish man. Then she saw him as a rabbi. Next, she's going to see him in a different way. He offers her this offer. And this is for you as well today. He offers her an offer. He offers her eternal life. Now, I don't know what you know about eternal life. Eternal life starts at the very moment you are born again. It is that, it's what's on the label. It's eternal. You cannot uneternalize eternal life. In other words, once you're saved, you're always saved. And it means that when you have eternal life, your nature changes. The Apostle Paul says, The old things have passed away before old things are new. And this one, he's off, he offers her eternal life. This day, alone the Lord, this irredeemable soul was actually redeemed. You see, he, she just, he just said to her, Where's your husband? You no, know that question that God says to you and me that you know it's him talking and you know you've been hiding it from him or trying to. Where's your husband? And the whole world collapses. He says, and she's honest. I've had, well, he's not around. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not married. I'm living with somebody. Well, he says, well, there you go. He said, I know that, I know that, I know that. I know I know all these things. There are times, you know, in life when God knows you and you know he knows you. It's called his omniscience where he knows all things. Remember when, when he called Nathaniel. Nathaniel would have been sitting under a tree and he's doing some business with God. Now he could have been in despair. He could have been seeking God. He could have been angry with God. He could have been calling God. He could have been whatever it was. And when Jesus actually met Nathaniel, he said to man, Nathaniel, I heard you. No one else was around, but I heard you. That loose word. This woman's the same. Jesus knew everything about her. She knew she was living in the wrong relationship. She knew she shouldn't be living with this man. And eventually, she realizes He's not just a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman, which is wrong, unusual. He's not just a rabbi talking to an immoral woman. She also says he's now a prophet. So it's getting clearer and clearer. And next thing, what happens then? She realizes he's a son of God. And she says to him, are you the Messiah? And he says, I'm he. Which is amazing. It's incredible isn't it oh you're the son of God I am he And he's, she eventually she's the first evangelist this immoral woman you know is the first evangelist in the New Testament she goes into all the town they come out seeing him and the people are saved so this woman was redeemed let me just finish with this very quickly you'd be surprised how many people think they're untouchable the lepers, the social lepers, nobody wants, the disabled, nobody wants, the type of people that are Johnny No Friends, nobody wants. This unique child touches the unlovable and loves them, he associates with the unacceptable, He heals and gives real hope to those without any hope. He offers things that no man can ever offer because he's God. He would touch the social leper when nobody would touch him. He would cure diseases no man can cure. He could be with a prostitute and allow her to anoint him. He could risk his reputation and go after people that nobody else would ever have anything to do with like Zacchaeus. He could, he could forgive a woman caught in adultery that's about to be stoned to death. He specializes in loving the unloved. He delights in forgiving those who, who are irredeemable. And he, he grants forgiveness for all who will trust him. You see, he's come to, this child's come to embrace you and me. I wonder if you can understand that today. This little child actually came for you. Now, when we are born, one day we will die. And that's a sad event. It's a tragic event, hopefully. But this particular child was born to die. God's son. Why do I love Jesus? It's simple, you know. Because before I was ever born, he loved me. Simple. Why do I follow him? Because he came after me. Why do I worship him? Because I want joy in life. And you get joy by worshiping this baby. It's as simple as this. What do I get from him? I get this promise that when this body one day will cease, and it will cease, when this life is soon over, when I have to leave people behind, which we all have to do, he has promised me that I will not perish when I die bro, I have everlasting life. And it's all a gift. The greatest gift this Christmas is Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.